in scripture this morning. It's uh, going to be in the two different chapters of Genesis. We're going to start where, uh, in Genesis 25 where Jacob um, and Esau come together. Esau comes from the field, he's hungry, and he ends up selling his birthright. But here now, the word of the Lord from Genesis 25. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. We're going to skip down to chapter 27, and uh, a little context here that um, at this point Isaac is kind of getting older, and his eyes, he doesn't see very well, right? He's virtually blind. And uh, so he's calling in his uh, oldest son, Esau, wants to give him the blessing and all this. Well, Rebecca is his wife finds out about this, wants uh, his, uh, Jacob to get the, the blessing. So they do a little disguise thing here, dressing him like uh, Esau, and then come in, and we pick up here at this point. So he went into his father and said, My father, he said, Here am I. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, uh, How is it you found so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son. I know that whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. If you remember, he was kind of a hairy guy, it says in Scripture. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring, me, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? 
He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Isaac, or excuse me, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And he ate it before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. The word of the Lord. O oh Lord God, we understand the need for blessing. We need you to bless us with your word. We understand a lot of things that, um, that we are shy on unless you shower us with. And yet we see this word that is a little confusing to us. We pray that you be with Pastor Andrew as he brings the word as you've given it to him. That we may take this passage and not go away wondering, so what happened here? But that we may have a word that changes our heart. That you would be working in our lives. That we would be the people and have the faith and the trust in the sovereign Lord that you desire us to have. Lord, I pray that uh, we, not be we not be the same, but we be changed people this morning, only because you have done it. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that we are to hear, and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again. Wow. Maybe uh, if you're the 1115 crowd, it's a little too early for you. You're not, uh, not uh, quite in the rhythm yet. Really glad to open this passage of Scripture. I, I love these Old Testament narratives. I, I really do. I, uh, there's just so much of humanity here, and God meets us and interacts with us. Um, it's full of grace. It's a story of uh, fathers and sons and his wife. Uh, pretty appropriate for Father's Day. I'd love to say I had that uh, planned out, you know, when we laid out the sermon series, but no, that would be a lie. So happy Father's Day to, to those of you who are here that fit that bill. Uh, Father's Day, of course, is not a religious holiday. It's not on the liturgical calendar anywhere. Um, but, you know, it's good to step aside and, and to honor fathers and celebrate them, whatever the case may be. I know for many people, especially growing up, you know, you sort of hit that, I don't know, six to ten year range and, you know, your eyes are just big. You know, dad is so important in your life. Um, I also know that uh, Father's, just like Mother's Day, just like all of our family, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. And, you know, maybe as we get older, we reflect on both the strengths and the weaknesses of our parents, uh, our fathers. We, we see that more clearly. Certainly being a father now, I can acknowledge, man, my kids have got a, a lot of weaknesses to contend with as they look at me and see how I've gone about my life and, uh, and business. There, there's certainly a number of things that they can flag. I think one of the things that this scripture points us to is that there is not a single person alive who is the hero that we need. You know, as much as dad may be a hero at a certain time in our life, 
we all recognize that dad is ultimately insufficient. Uh, we recognize that mom is insufficient. We recognize that we ourselves are insufficient if God is gracious to us. And, and we see that so clearly here in this story. You know, you read through these Old Testament narratives and you're like, okay, who's going to be the hero? Is it Isaac, the, the patriarch? Is it Jacob, the, you know, the patriarch-to-be? And we see both of them acting badly in this story. So maybe it's Rebecca. She's the one who's going to save the day. God has given her an oracle early on. Maybe she's going to be the one. Nope, she's acting badly too. And Esau, the older brother, could be the hero, but he's not. There's no human hero found in this story. And I want to walk us through that. Just try to understand that a little bit better. In many respects, it's one of those mirrors that God holds up for us to help us see our own hearts more clearly. Uh, and then... Uh, of course, we will ask the question, if the humans aren't the heroes, who is the hero and is there any hope? And of course, the scripture tells us that yes, there is. So let's start with just kind of this failure. It's, I, I called it in your outline a, a vacuum of vision. Um, 27.1, we are told that Isaac is old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see seems to be the, the physical condition of his eyes getting dim, a metaphor for his heart and his ability to see spiritually also getting dim. Uh, both he and Esau uh, share a trait, you know, in their inability to see God and to recognize his goodness and to receive uh, his blessing and his way, they live by their appetites, uh, their, their bellies. Some of you are familiar with Paul in Philippians chapter 3. He says, in those days there will be those whose God is their belly. Uh, and and at, we see that so clearly with both Esau and with Isaac. Did you notice uh, in chapter 25, that portion that Ken read, Esau sells his birthright. Esau comes in. And the birthright was the promise, it was the blessing, it was the responsibility to step forward and to be that person. And Esau comes in from hunting and he's famished, he says. He, he very sort of dramatically says, I'm about to die unless I get some of this stew that Jacob was, was cooking. And so Jacob, you know, says, uh, maybe he had heard the, the prophecy that his mom received that the younger would be over the older and the younger was to receive the birthright. Whatever the case, he says, give me your birthright. He swears it. He gives him his birthright. His belly, his appetite, uh, that, that feeling that he had at that moment led him in this direction. Later on, we see almost the same thing. In fact, it, it's really striking how similar 25 that we read and then, you know, 27 are. Esau feels like he is about to die. One of the things that's interesting is he's not. He lives another 80 years after this story. Uh, but uh, he feels like he is about to die, just like Esau. And what he is longing for is something to fill his belly. And, and so he calls Esau and he says, go out and, and cook, you know, hunt down this venison, cook me this stew that I can be filled, and then I will give you the blessing. He is 
following his belly. A number of times, actually, in that narrative, we're told about the food, the delicious food, the food that your father loves. It, it puts the emphasis on this filling of an appetite. You know, one of the things, one of the words that we use to, to talk about our physical appetites is sensuality. Uh, when we, when we, get, we, we follow the, the feelings that we have, it could be hunger, it could be for drink, it could be for sex, it could be all sorts of different things. And, and we, we follow these rather than, especially in this case, rather than following the revealed will of the Lord. Uh, rather than trusting that God is going to meet our deepest needs. And, and Isaac should have known better. You see, his, his failure to see was, was not only physical, but it was spiritual. He knew that Rebekah had received this oracle, that the younger would be over the older, and that the birthright belonged to Jacob. And yet... Maybe even since he knew this story here in chapter 25, yet when he gets to this point, he calls Esau to give him the blessing that went along with the birthright. Uh, he was not willing to submit himself to where he knew the Lord was following, or the, where he knew the Lord was leading him. He was not willing to follow. And it raises that question for us, like, what is it that is leading us? You know, is it the revealed will of the Lord? Is it the promises, you know, where he says, look it, you don't need to pursue pleasure uh, in the here and now because at my right hand are pleasures forevermore, uh, says the psalmist. You know, you, you are going to be so filled, so satiated, and as you follow the Lord, you know that satisfaction, you know, or... Do we follow our senses? Do we indulge in sensuality? We can apply it just even in the same ways that the Scripture gives us. In Hebrews chapter 12, you know, we are told of Esau uh, that the, the writer to the Hebrews says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Because by it, many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. You know, bringing those things together, Esau, another way that he uh, imbibed his, uh, his, sexual, or his appetites was by marrying Hittite women. He wasn't willing to wait, you know, to get a wife from among his own people, but he married two Hittite women at the end of chapter 26, and then in 28, he marries an Ishmaelite. Uh, so he was unwilling to do that, and the scriptures call him unholy uh, because of that. And, and so we look at our own lives. Are we following those appetites? You know, now it might be food and drink. You know, we, we think of gluttony. Gluttony is, is known as one of the, the seven deadly sins. We don't talk about that a lot in our Western culture. Uh, you know, just because everything is available and there's a sense that we deserve everything. But it's something to think about. Like, how much does that appetite play in our life? You know, how much of a, of a God, small g, does food or drink 
become in our life. You know, when we are anxious or when we're depressed, you know, do we go to the cupboard or do we go to uh, the glass? What do we do with regards to these things? The scriptures come and confront us. They hold up that mirror and say, do we see ourselves in here? You know, sexuality, you don't need to go on with regards to that. You know how sex-saturated this culture is. Now, in some senses, it's no different than any other culture. I mean, you see even Esau back here can go in that direction. But are we going there? That's the question. You know, is that something that we are using uh, to, to be a God, again, small g, in our lives? It's a God that cannot satisfy but lest you say, well, I, I don't have a problem with eating or drinking or sexuality. Praise the Lord for that if you don't. Uh, you know, lest you think that, we need to understand that our senses can get us in a lot of different ways because these feelings of anxiety. I mean, one of the things that Esau, or, or Isaac was feeling was like, I'm going to die. I've got I've to do this. And so he, he begins to act in response to his feeling, not in response to the revealed word of the Lord. Rebecca does a similar thing. When she hears that Esau is going to get the blessing, and even though she knows that Jacob is to get to ble the blessing, she begins to act, you know, led by her fear that God's word wasn't going to come true. And, and we do that, right? Anxiety is one of the feelings that we all have. And we act in response to that rather than the revealed word of the Lord. You know, or the adulation, the acclaim that we get from other people. We, we want to have that. They want them to tell us how pretty we are. They want us to tell them uh, we want other people to tell us how gifted we are, what a good musician we are, or how good at sports we are, or whatever it is, rather than receiving that from the Lord. These are ways that we are sensual. You know, that go beyond just simply what we eat and what we drink and our sexuality. We respond to these feelings. And part of what this story says is that's empty. I mean, look at how it's so interesting to me in 27 how every single one of Isaac's senses fail him. He can't even tell if he's going to die or not. You know, his, his eyesight fails him, his touch fails him, his smell fails him, his hearing fails him. Every single one of his senses fails him. And it's only when he opens up his heart to begin listening to the Lord do we see him catch some traction and go in the right direction. We'll get there in just a moment. So are you listening to the Lord? I mean, if, we, if we're not going to live by our senses, then we, we have to live... You know, what does Jesus say when tempted? He says, man does not live by bread alone. He, he knew what it was like to be tempted sensually, right, by food. But man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Are we living by that? Do we have that word in our hearts so that we know the direction and then we're not buffeted about by the buffet? Uh, we're, not, uh, we're not moved by whatever comes in front of us uh, for the moment. We're listening to him in prayer. Not only just coming with our laundry list of what we need, but really listening to the Lord uh, and, and responding, moving in his direction. The, pro you know, the, the story goes on, and, and I think what really is illustrated is 
just the mess that happens when we follow our senses. You know, when, when we don't see, when we have this vacuum, when every, anytime you have a vacuum, something moves to fill it, right? So a vacuum of really seeing the Lord, uh, what moves to fill it, sensuality, what the outcome of that is, is no good. Uh, you have a bunch of disturbing dysfunction. And I think that, uh, you know, the Bible gives us this in full color because it, it wants us in a strange way to be encouraged about our own lives. Because if we're honest, all of our families are filled with dysfunction, right? Uh, I, I love my parents. Um, I, I love my, my brother, sister-in-law, everybody that, you know, makes up our nuclear family. But we have our own dysfunction. I mean, we have things that we don't talk about. You know, you just know you don't go there in conversation. Uh, we have ways in which we act that hurt one another. Uh, even within our family, you know, sort of, you know, Andrew, Lisa, and the, the kids, you know, we have ways that we operate that, that hurt one another. Uh, we always have dysfunction. And you see so much of it on display here. You know, you see favoritism. For one, uh, chapter 25, you know, it just says Esau, sorry, I can look it up. It's verse 28 of chapter uh, 25. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And then in chapter 27, uh, Esau called his son to him and said, my son, here I am. And then in verse 6, Rebekah calls her son to him. You know, so the text is very clear, like there is something unhealthy going on here. And it's a pattern too, isn't it, with this holy family. You know, we saw Abraham had his favorite, Isaac, over Ishmael. Uh, Jacob later on is going to have his favorites, uh, Joseph and Benjamin over the rest of the brothers. You know, there's a family pattern here that is deep with regards to favoritism. But why? Well, you're following your appetites rather than listening to the Word of God. You know, if Isaac was, was being the spiritual head of the household that he was supposed to, if he was being the patriarch that God had called him to be, he would know that God had favored the younger, and he would align his heart with that, but he doesn't. Favoritism hurts. I mean, we, we know that some of you are here on Father's Day, and you weren't your dad's favorite. And, and that leaves a mark uh, in, in your life. And so we, we need to watch out for this idea of favoritism that can come in. And then there's deception. You know, every one of these characters is involved in deception. Esau, he knew he sold the birthright to, to Jacob. He knew it very well. Uh, and yet, when Isaac calls him and, and says, go do this, uh, he's going to very surreptitiously go grab his stuff, go kill a deer, bring it back, and, you know, get the birthright that he's not supposed to have. Isaac, he knows. You know, Rebecca surely has told him that the younger is favored over the older. He knows this oracle, and yet, you know, he uh, very quietly, it's not like he gets everybody together in order to give the blessing. He's going to do it off to the side. 
uh, he gets this together and he is going to, again, surreptitiously, in secret, give the blessing to his son Esau, who he loves. There is deception that is going on in Isaac's heart and in Esau's heart and in Rebekah's heart. You know, she overhears the plot. She hatches a plot of her own that is directly given in order to deceive Isaac. She cooks up the stew that's similar to the one he loves. She dresses uh, Jacob in the robes of Esau, puts the goat skin on his arm so that Jacob, who is smooth, can now appear hairy. It's all geared at de deception. And then Jacob, when he walks into the tent, he, he's, like the penult he's like the ultimate deceiver, right? He lives up to his name. Uh, now he's not the rear guard, but he is actually the deceptive heel grabber. He says, I am Esau. And he even calls upon the name of the Lord. Uh, he adds blasphemy to his deception where he says, the Lord your God has given me, uh, has given me uh, success in hunting. And that's how I was able to bring this back so quickly. Every single one of them is involved in deception because when we're living by our appetites rather than following the word of God when there is that vacuum for the Lord's direction this is the kind of stuff that seeps into that vacuum now some have said with respect to Jacob and Rebecca that this was a a righteous deception um, that this was something that you know they were warranted in doing because God had said that Jacob was to get the blessing, was to uh, hold the birthright. I think that we got to be careful with that, right? Um, those are basically saying that the end justifies the means. And, and I think Scripture is pretty clear in showing us that this is not the case. You know, their failure to wait uh, for God to work things out, their willingness to step in to feed their anxiety, control the situation, you know, take initiative, results in separation of the family, even between Rebecca and Jacob. There's no evidence that Jacob ever sees Rebecca again, that she never sees she, her beloved son again. And, and it's, I think, a lesson to us to really consider that it is never right, it is never right to use sinful means to achieve a good end. And it's always a temptation, isn't it? I, th I think Satan is a past master at, at moving us in that direction. Like, you know, if you cut this corner, you're going to make so much more money, and then you can give it to missions. I mean, what do we think? That God really needs us to lie in order that he can support missionaries around the world? I mean, it's silly the way that we get ourselves into thinking. Or, you know, think of a relationship. I know young people think about this all the time. Here's this uh, young girl or young guy. They're really interesting, but they're not a Christian. You know, and, and we think, well, I, I want to, I'm just going to stay in this relationship, even though I know that God has called me not to do this, because, you know, I, I think God is going to use me to bring them to your, them himself. You know, what do we think? That God wants us to be unequally yoked in order that he can accomplish his will. You know, there, it's just silly the way that we think, but part of that is just a result of saying, no, I want to live by what feels good to me right now. 
I want to live by my appetites, and I don't want to wait on the Lord. And you see the results of this sort of thing all throughout this dysfunction in this story. But God doesn't leave us to ourselves. Uh, God intervenes, and, and this is really the point of the story because Again, there, there's so much with these Old Testament stories in particular as we look at how these narratives play out. We always are tempted to say, okay, who do I want to be like or who do I not want to be like? You know, do I want to be like Jacob? Do I want to be like Isaac, Abraham, Rebecca? Who do I want to be like in these things? But what we're saying is none of them deserve our adulation in and of themselves. You know, none of them is worthy of being followed, imitated, emulated. So who is? Look at verse 33. Verse 33, I believe, is the hinge of, of this story. After Jacob leaves, Esau comes in and he says, I've brought you this food. Verse 32, I think Isaac begins to see just a little bit, and he says, who are you? And Esau answered, I'm your firstborn, I'm Esau. And then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it before you came, and I have blessed him. You see... What God does is he doesn't let us stay in the place where we are walking away from him. God loves Isaac. God has chosen Isaac. And despite all of Isaac's determination to walk in his own way away from the Lord, God is not going to let him. He is going to send a seismic shift. He is going to send a grace quake into Isaac's life so that he can see, that the blinders can fall off and he can recognize that not by his belly, not by his conjuring, not by anything in him is God's plan going to go forward, but that God is faithful to pursue him. And as he trembles very violently, I believe that God does the work of true repentance in his heart. You know what's interesting is Hebrews 11 verse 20, so the hall of faith. And you know, after you read the story, you're surprised when you come to 11:20 of Hebrews where it says, "By faith Isaac blessed Jacob." You're like, "Why well, does it seem like faith at all?" Uh, that that seemed the opposite of faith. How how is it that the writer of Hebrews can attribute uh, his blessing of Jacob to faith. Well, I think it's right here. You know, Je Isaac is broken at this point. And, and he stops fighting against God. And, and when Esau pleads for the blessing, a blessing from him, he says, look it, I've given the blessing to your brother Jacob. And he shall be blessed. You know, he acknowledges that every place that he has been, his lack of sight, his uh, following, his appetite is not where he needed to be. And he, as it were, hands over the keys to God. 
And he says, yes, indeed, he shall be blessed. There's something here, I believe, for us. You know, part of what we need to long for in our lives is our own grace quake. You know, that seismic shift where God moves in our hearts so that we recognize that our own efforts are going to fail just like Isaac's did. That our senses are not reliable. We can't know our life and death. That we can't trust our sense of smell or seeing or taste or touch or any of these things. Uh, that it is only as we give up our lives to Christ. We find this, you know, we call it repentance. Uh, but it's, it's not just conformity. That's, that's the thing I think is so, I, I try to explain this. Oftentimes I feel like I try to explain it week after week, and hopefully you're getting it more than my ability to explain it. Uh, you know, sometimes we confuse repentance with the fruit of repentance. Uh, the fruit of repentance are, you know, is like obedience and all of these things that we do. A and oftentimes we, we treat, we come to repentance and we say, okay, once I start obeying, then I can come before the Lord. But repentance is, is exactly what we see here. Here is Isaac in the midst of disobedience. Here is Isaac with all of his rebellion, you know, his fist raised against the Lord, and God comes in and breaks him. And that is what we need to pray for. Spurgeon put it this way, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, preacher in the 1800s, he says, we need to learn this lesson, not to trust Christ because you repent, but trust Christ to make you repent. Don't come to Christ because you have a broken heart, but come to him that he might give you a broken heart. Don't come to him because you're fit to come, but come to him because you are unfit to come. Your fitness is your unfitness. Your qualification, your lack of qualification is your qualification. Do you see what this is? This, this is an invitation right here, right now, in the midst of all of your rebellion, in, a, in the midst of all of your messiness, in the midst of the appetites that the Lord has brought to your mind this morning as we've been preaching. This is your invitation to be broken, to allow the grace quake to take part in your life that helps you to see clearly both how unhelpful these things are and then also simultaneously to cling to Jesus who is all of our righteousness and makes us fit. Helps us to realize that without him we are nothing. And there's a strange sort of picture of that here in, in this story. You know, we, we have a, a combination lock at home. It's, uh, it's got, you can make words with it. So I... You guys look all trustworthy. The, the combination is nine cows. I don't know how that happened, but uh, that will unlock it, and you can steal our bikes. Uh, but, you know, you can be just a little bit off and be completely off. You know, so if you have eight cots uh, or seven bows, that's not going to get you in, right? It's got to be nine cows. And this story is one of those things where it's just a little bit off. It's just a little bit out of focus. But if we twist it just right, I think that we'll see 
the beauty that's here. You know, Jacob, he goes to his father dressed in the clothes of his older brother. He receives the embrace, the blessing, the kiss of his father, though both of them are acting poorly. His mother promises him that even if his father rejects him, she will bear his curse. Is any of that language ringing a bell? You know, in Christ, as he went to the cross, he, the, the child of Rebekah, the descendant of Isaac and Rebekah, of Jacob, bore our curse. He, he became cursed for us. You know, so that all of that unrighteousness of Jacob, Rebekah, Isaac, Esau, all of the unrighteousness of us, all of that unrighteousness was nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. The curse is met. And we are given the robes of righteousness, the robes of our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are dressed in those robes so that when we go into the presence of our Father, He sees clearly and He welcomes us in. And he embraces us and he gives us the kiss. He, he smells the sweetness that is ours through Christ. And he gives us the blessing that says, I love you. Come, receive the inheritance that has been prepared for you. All of the elements are there in Genesis 27, but they're just a little bit out of focus. But in Christ, we see clearly that he has borne the curse, he's given us the righteousness, and we have the embrace that we long for on Father's Day, right? The love, the affection of our Heavenly Father that is perfect in all of its perfection. As I've said, you know, I think these stories are, are such a mirror because they're true. You know, this is one of the things, you read the Bible and you say, I know it's true because these guys are messed up just like me. You know, these, these folks are all acting badly. I relate to where their heart is. But God is the hero that each one of us needs. There was a man who lived about uh, 400 years before uh, or after Christ. His name was Augustine. Some of you know him as St. Augustine. Uh, he grew up, rebelled against uh, the faith. Uh, his mother, Monica, prayed for him day after day after day. Uh, when Augustine was leaving home and headed for Carthage to study, uh, his mother warned him earnestly not to commit fornication and above all, do not seduce any man's wife. But Augustine would later write in his confessions, he went to Carthage where I found myself in a hissing cauldron of lust. His appetites uh, got the best of him. He says, you know, my real need was for you, my God. You are the true food for the soul. But I was only aware of the physical hungers. He began to search for a means of gaining the strength that I needed to enjoy lo the, you, Lord, later on, he says. But I could not find this means until that grace quake happened in his life and he embraced the mediator between God and man, even Jesus. 
This is how he describes that grace quake. It's late August, 386. He was almost 32 years old at the time. He was continually stung by uh, these bestial lusts that he had and just the emptiness of following his appetites day after day after day. And so there was a small garden attached to the house where he lodged, and he says this, I now found myself driven by this emptiness, by this tumult that was in my breast to take refuge in the garden where no one could interrupt that fierce struggle in which I was my own contestant. Anybody ever been there? Uh, The fierce struggle that we have with ourselves. I was beside myself with madness that would ultimately bring me sanity. I was dying a death that would ultimately bring me life. I was frantic, overcome by violent anger with myself for not accepting your will or entering into your blessing. I tore my hair, hammered my forehead with my fists. I locked my fingers and hugged my knees. It was a grace quake. He trembled very violently, as the Lord allowed the scales to fall from my eyes. And then he says this, I realized at last that I was held back by mere trifles, these appetites of mine. And while I stood trembling at the barrier, on the other side, I could see the chaste beauty of continence, who he is pictured as Christ himself in all of her serene, unsullied joy as she modestly beckons me to cross over and to hesitate no more. She stretched out her loving hands to welcome me and embrace me. Brothers and sisters, this is the picture for each one of us. The loving hands of our Savior, Jesus Christ, beckon us into his embrace. May you know that joy, the embrace of the Father this Father's Day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. It truly is a a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, we pray that we would have the vision to see clearly that you would lead us into joy and away from dysfunction. Father, we pray that each one of us would uh, know the, the grace quake today. For it's not something that happens only once in our life, but day after day you call us to repentance. You call us to that joy of abandoning ourselves and clinging afresh to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we do especially pray for those who, um, like Isaac in this story, find themselves far afield from, from where they're supposed to be. Lord, we pray that that violent trembling would overtake them, but that they would see it as grace and that they would bless the Lord and that they would know his blessing in return. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.